speaking, just to, to move forward with a real great sense of courage. And, um, you know, that, that verse that God's speaking to you about is, is the one, I think, in Philippians, where he says, you know what, if I brought you this far, uh, I'm not going to let you fall. And, and, I, and I just think that there is a sense with you and what God has done in you, he's preparing you for your greatest time. He's preparing you for, for some of your most fruitful and, and most effective times. So just be encouraged. But, but God is with you and he's not going to leave you. and He's taking you into, into a new season. But go with confidence and, and go trusting him and go with the courage that you draw from him. Um, Calvin, I just want to encourage you too, mate. I, I, I know that God's got a kingdom assignment for you. As you, as you just go... Go, go about what you're called to, but things are going to unfold for you and you're really going to get a, an understanding of, of, of the things that he's been doing in your life and, and the way that he actually wants to use that in an amazing way in the kingdom. And I, you know, I don't know a time frame on that. I, I don't know exactly um, when or, or how that is, but I, I just know that there is, there is something very specific that he actually has for you to make an incredible difference in the kingdom. So just keep your eyes on him. Keep walking towards him. And, and things will um, make sense as they go. Um, do that with courage. It is on. Thanks, Dan. Who, who did, um, who, who's done Grow Track in the last couple of weeks? Who's done Grow Track? Period. Give me a wave. Awesome. So there's actually quite a few of you that can do it. Um, we've actually we had a lot of fun. I know that the first one of this last round of Grow Track started over at Dan's house a few weeks ago, and, and that was fantastic. Uh, last week we looked at living victoriously down um, down in, in our meeting rooms down there. That was absolutely brilliant, um, and, and I enjoyed doing it. I actually hosted that once, not the one I normally do, but that was a lot of fun. And, and then this week is week three, and. This is a really exciting week. It actually tells you about how you're wired and, and how you can best use the way that God has created you, the things that he has placed in you and, and, and the gifts that he is actually putting on your life and how he wants to use you in the kingdom of God. So that's a, a really exciting one. You need to do that. And then week four, we look at how that works together. We look at how you can connect within the context of your church family and, and, and the kingdom of God. So let's, let's be in that. If you haven't done it, get on board for the next round. Grow Track is part of our discipleship pathway. Um, you know, discipleship shouldn't be something that's necessarily all structured, but if it doesn't have some sort of structure, it doesn't happen. So we want to, we want to help people on that journey towards being fruitful. Um, Jesus didn't actually ask us to, to do that much. Um, only everything. But, you know, he, he, he didn't want to make it complicated. He just said, follow me. Follow me. And, and Grow Track's all about that. It's all about understanding what that journey is. So let's have a seat and we'll get into the word here this morning. How's that other mic going? Are we, it's not working. It's feeding back. Okay, we'll use this one. That's cool.
I just felt as um, Dan was praying this morning too that about that perfect love casting out fear. And there's no way that God wants us to live controlled or, or driven by fear. But he created us deliberately with, with, with that ability and that innate nature to feel fear, didn't he? Uh, obviously, if you didn't get scared from time to time, you'd do all sorts of things that you perhaps shouldn't do. And so fear is a, is a perfectly natural feeling. And it's very natural, you know, even all sorts of things. Um, you know, there's the natural things like you see, a, you see an MTT bus coming towards you. Uh, you're going to feel some fear. Yeah, hopefully you saw it soon enough. Those things are very natural, but there's an emotion in fear where, where it, it, it does want to dominate and it does want to control and it, it wants to be about what might happen and what could happen. And, you know, God's actually wanting you to be able to you understand that that's, that's real and that happens, but he's wanting to understand that, that his love is actually greater and his support around you is actually going to enable you to walk through that. And, and this morning I want to speak about being able to hear the voice of God when not everything's working right. <laughs> being able to hear the voice of God when you're not just in a, in a lovely church service and everything is right and you can supposedly hear God or, or when your life is sort of on track. Uh, uh, we, we need to be able to hear the voice of God probably more than ever when, when stuff goes to poo. When, when stuff's going down the toilet. That's church vernacular for what you might say during the week. I'm going to get rid of this thing. It's not that it really matters. Just makes me feel like a fake. Second Chronicles seven fourteen has been a, a key verse on this journey that we've been on, talking about faith and talking about hearing from God. And, and I've read it lots of times, but um, I think sometimes repetitiveness gets something in our system. And it says, "Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face." And turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and restore their land. And when we think about the times we cry out to God, it's very easy to think that your problem is perhaps not that significant on the grand scheme of things. What you've been going through this week isn't as big as what somebody else is going through. What you have been dealing with doesn't matter as much as what somebody else is. You know, you, you, you've perhaps been having trouble in your workplace this week. Well, Malcolm Turnbull was having more trouble in his workplace this week. You know, there are... Uh... And then you think about what's going on in your world and you think about perhaps the stuff that somebody else is carrying. 
I mean, and you think about what you're doing, and then you think about, gee, the Billy Graham Evangelical Association getting out in a year. 11 million boxes. Wow, someone's had to organize all that. What are they carrying? And you're getting freaked out about trying to fill your one box. Lord Jesus, what will I put in this box? Somebody else is praying, Lord, how do we make all this work? The thing is, our God is, is amazing because he is not limited by time or space or scenario or pedigree or background or situation. He is interested in you right now, whatever you're on. I don't know what Scott Morrison prayed this week. Scott Morrison's a Christian, loves God, goes to a church in Sydney. Who, who know, remember Mike Murphy? Preached in our church a lot of times. Scott goes to the church that Mike used to pastor. I reckon you'll need your prayers. And we also read in the Word of God that God doesn't have favourites. Romans 10, 11 says, But there will be glory, honour and peace from God for all who do good, first for the Jew, also for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. So if he speaks to people, you know, in the big things, he wants to speak to you in your big things and your little things. If he spoke to the heroes of the faith, if he, if he speaks to contemporary church leaders, whatever it is, well, then he's certainly speaking to you. So the great prophet Elijah has this absolutely amazing victory at Mount Carmel. And basically, the, the nation of Israel was going down the toilet. It, it, it was just, they'd lost their values, they'd lost their way, they'd lost their direction, it wasn't raining, it just was not in a good place. And, and, and they'd stopped, they'd, they'd, they'd turned, sounds a bit like our country, they'd turned their back on some of the values that, that had brought them to the place they were at, they'd stopped worshipping their God, and, and they were worshipping a, a false imitation fraudulent God who wasn't a God who was supposed to control the weather and the seasons and bring them prosperity. And, and Elijah had had enough and he felt very alone and he said, okay, we're going to have a showdown. And you know the story, some of you who have been in church for a while or have read your Bible, that, that, that he says, okay, to the prophets of this false God, Baal, he says, you know, get, get, get the boys together. He said, we're going to build an altar here and I'm going to build an altar here and, and we're, we're not going to light it ourselves. We're actually just going to call out to our God to come and consume it. And the prophets of Baal, they, they do their thing and they, they do all sorts of ceremonies and carry on and, and, and nothing happens. And Elijah, I don't know, this confidence he has, he's, he actually gets quite sarcastic and he says, well, you know, maybe your God's gone to sleep. And then another time he says, well, you better try a bit harder because perhaps he's gone to the toilet. You know, and he, he actually is baiting these guys. And 
nothing happens. And then he prays to the God of heaven and and you know what happened, that, that, it, that he, he sends down fire from heaven and he consumes the altar and, and everything that was on it and the water that was around it. And, and, you know, there was just no argument. It was just very, very powerful. And then in the moment, he, he acts with incredible authority and confidence and he, and he takes on these, these false prophets and we're told that he actually deals with them himself. He slaughters them. Brave, brave, brave. And then that's all finished and, and the king of Israel had sort of been watching this and wondering what to do and he goes home and he tells his wife about it. And his wife was Queen Jezebel and she was not happy because she was a, a, a worshipper of Baal. And, and, and this mighty prophet who calls out to God, who sends down fire from heaven, who, who acts with this incredible sense of, of, of authority and deals with these prophets, all of a sudden is filled with fear. This confidence, this high that he was on evaporated like the water in that moat around the altar. And Jezebel sent a message out. This is what freaked him out. She said, before this day finishes, you are going to be dead because I'm coming for you. And he runs, and he runs, and he runs. A bit like Forrest Gum, he just kept running. He's confused. He's perhaps disorientated. And this great man has lost his compass, and he can't find his true north anymore. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a sense where things are good? You can feel like you're in the presence and the will and that place where God's doing stuff in your world. And all of a sudden, almost after something incredible, it's a bit like, bang, your true north can be gone. And, and, and I think we're actually often most vulnerable after a big victory. We're often most vulnerable after something incredible has happened. I can remember a number of years ago, um, we, we just finished church together. And I don't know, nowadays it's, it's, it's a little different. I think we've got used to it and we've got a great team and Lizzie worries about a lot of the things that we used to worry about. And it was Monday morning. I'm thinking, this is cool. It all went really well. Yay, great. You'd put so much emotional energy and effort into carrying that. And all of a sudden, bang, I got a phone call that Monday morning. And it was a bit like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? All of a sudden, confidence evaporated. And what do you do in those moments? What I can tell you in that moment is, that I clearly heard God's voice. I clearly heard him say something to me in that moment that took me and a lot of other people through that season. Sometimes we don't get that, and I think Elijah perhaps missed that in that moment. So how do we hear from God when we're confused? How do we hear from God when we feel disorientated? 
And it says this in 1 Kings 19, verse 3 and 4. It says, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. How do we hear from God when we feel afraid? He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. So if you know anything about depression, this guy is depressed. He does not want to live. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. So he's done. He's spent. He's physically and emotionally done. Once again, have you you been in that place from time to time? Where you feel like you've given everything and you're just like, I am spent. I haven't got another ounce left physically, spiritually, or emotionally. I just feel done. I certainly relate to those feelings. I've had them various times in my life. People are demanding things of you, but you feel like there's nothing there. But interestingly, on this journey, God had spoken to Elijah along the way, just as a sheer matter of survival. There's no revelation in it. It was just like, hey, Elijah, here's some food. Get up now before you die in the sun. I think sometimes we can get ourselves in such a state that we don't even know that God is talking. Sometimes it's like we're, we're, we're running for our life. Sometimes we've become so disorientated, we're going, and, and actually God is looking after us and he's caring for us and he's there, but we can't hear, our vo- hear his voice. Sometimes I think we're, we're like your kids have been, if you've had kids or, or if you've observed other kids or, or perhaps you've been in that place. I think sometimes husbands get accused of this. You know, sitting in front of the TV, people are talking, but there's no response. Yeah. Would you like some food? Oops. Talk to the kids. You need some food. No response. You hand it to them. They just eat it. Keep watching the TV. I think sometimes our journey with God can be a little bit like that. We're transfixed by our whatever's going on and he's there, but we just take it and we keep going and we don't even know where it came from. So how can we hear the voice of God in times of confusion. Uh, I think number one, and this isn't rocket science, but it requires us to know it. I, I think we've got to choose to listen to God in our darkest hour. When we feel confused, when we're in those places, let's decide that we're going to listen for the voice of God in our darkest hour. Now, Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi, and it was a dark hour. The Bible says it was around midnight, and and they, I don't know what they were doing, whether they were listening to the voice of God, but it was a bit like Rachel was talking about this morning, in their darkest hour, when they were in a prison, when they were in a dungeon, when when they were literally 
didn't know whether they were going to make it through the next few hours, let alone the next few days. And they're thinking, is God saying anything? Well, actually, they just started being thankful. They just started praising God. And I want to encourage you, in your darkest hour, sometimes if you can't hear God, the way through is actually just to start to thank Him and start to talk to Him and thank Him for what He's doing and what He's done and what He will do. And somehow your voice tunes in to the Holy Spirit and you will start to hear from God in your darkest hour. Because you see, the problem with us in our humanity is we are always transfixed by ourselves. Inside you, inside your head, you probably, you, you might not agree with this, but you, you have three main voices that will speak to you. And the loudest and the one that speaks the most is yourself. It talks about yourself talks about what you'd like to be, talks about how important you are, it talks about what you've missed out on, it talks about how that person didn't come through, it just talks about things related to you most of the time. Anyone notice that? You won't admit it, but anyway, I can tell you, I battle with my ego, okay. Then there are these left field sort of things that seem to come into your mind from nowhere. And often they're destructive, they cut across where you're going, and and you think, where did that come from? And so often that is the voice of the enemy. So often that is the voice of, 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 of the spirit world that is able to plant things in your mind and, and actually try and derail you. It normally is intrusive and it normally cuts across What's going on? And then for those in the kingdom of God who have the Holy Spirit in them, there is the voice of God. And the voice of God is loving and is affirming and it is there. And it actually directs you to a world that is bigger than your own. And when we start to be thankful, we start to praise God, we actually, we steal those other voices. We move our thinking off that voice of ourselves. It's all about us. And we actually focus it on God and we start to tune into who he is. And I think in that very presence of praise, the enemy is not comfortable in that zone. You know, there'd be people you know that haven't come into the kingdom of God yet, and you think, oh, gee, they wouldn't be that comfortable in a, in a worship service. They wouldn't be that comfortable when we're, we're standing praising God. Well, yeah, they're not used to it, you know, and you think about that. But you know what? The enemy is 100,000 times less comfortable in an environment of praise. In an environment of praise and thankfulness, he's going to have trouble getting through. You will steal the voice of the enemy you will put yourself in perspective and you will tune into the voice of God. In your darkest hour, God's speaking, he's providing for us, he's ministering to us, but we don't easily recognize his voice at those times. It's interesting as you look at Elijah, in God's mercy, he allowed Elijah time and a journey to recover. 
He allowed. I mean, he was a prophet. He had an assignment. He was supposed to keep going, but he finds himself spent. He finds himself filled with fear. He ends up depressed. He ends up saying, I actually just want my life to finish. He gets very, very desperate. And in no way does God say, you stupid prophet, what are you doing? God actually allowed him a journey and time to recover. And he actually ministered to him and he provided for him on the journey. There will be times that it doesn't make sense, but you know what? God is with you on the journey and in his grace, he is going to allow you time to recover on that journey. And and, and there is nothing wrong with the journey. And maybe you feel like you can't hear him in your pain, your depression, your disillusionment or, or your disappointment, but he is with you on the journey and in his mercy, he will give you time to recover. You may not be able to hear him at the moment, but his guidance will be with you. The Bible tells us that his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So Elijah actually goes for 40 days, we're told. And, and it's interesting that, that 40 days appears a number of times throughout the Bible, doesn't it? And, and 40 days is, is symbolic of, of, of renewal. It is symbolic of, of actually restoration, recovery, and preparation. The, the flood was, it was a purging of, of evil from the earth that happened in 40 days. Uh, the Israelites had 40 years in the wilderness so that disbelief, was actually dealt with. A whole generation actually had to pass away before they could be filled with faith to go into renewal and restoration. It was symbolic of that time. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being prepared and overcoming the enemy before he went into that time of ministry. So there is this symbolic nature of what Elijah goes through. And I'm not saying that you need to go through a 40-day process for whatever you're in at the moment. All I'm saying is that God does want to lead us through a process. In our darkest hour, whatever it is, he wants to lead us through a process where we are prepared, where we are renewed, where we are restored, and we're ready to go into what he's calling us to go into. Verse 5, it says, Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around and beside him, beside his head, was some bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. So there you go. The food was just there. He ate it and he drank it and he laid down again. He laid back into his depression and he stayed there. God ministered to him in that moment. So how can we hear the voice of God in times of confusion? Well, I think number two, we've got to consume his word and drink his spirit. See, Elijah was probably too lost to even do that. So see, God comes along and, and, and there is bread and there is water right there to restore him. You know, in your, in your time of confusion, we've actually got to make sure that we're still getting the word of God into us, that we're taking in the spirit, even when you don't feel like it. And, and, and I know I've shared this before. But, but there is a saying in endurance cycling, and that is that you drink before you're thirsty and you eat before you're hungry. 
And, and why would you say that? You think it seems very natural. But the thing is, when you're on your limit, you don't almost have the energy. You do not want to drink or eat if you're on your limit. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you're pushed into what we call, you know, above your threshold zone, it is actually very hard to eat and drink. It's not a natural thing because it just doesn't happen easily. So the way to succeed in that is just to be disciplined. You just say that I am going to, you know, I'm going to eat and drink every half an hour, whether I like it or whether I feel like it or not. When I get over this hill or whatever, I'm just going to take some stuff in. I know I won't feel like it, but if I don't, I won't get to the end. And in life, sometimes we've got to say, in our darkest hour, in those times where we don't feel like it, it's not, it's not a woo spiritual thing. It's just a discipline thing. I am going to eat his word and I'm going to drink his spirit no matter what is going on in my life. Oh, I've had a crap day. I just need some time to, 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 to lay down and die. Well, God is going to allow you to do that, but, but he's actually going to come to you and he's going to give you an opportunity where, where, where you actually just need to open the word of God and you need to, to say, Holy Spirit, just come and minister to me where I am right now. It's not like it's bang, it's going to be a quick fix. You might just open the word of God and it might feel as dry as a sayo biscuit. And, you know, and it's like, and, and the spirit of God's there and you can hardly feel it. It's like over there in the distance, but he is there there and he's ministering to you. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord came to him again and touched him and said, get up, eat some more for the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So how can we hear God's voice in times of confusion? I think number three, we've got to trust God that our journey will lead us to his voice. Trust God that our journey will lead us to his voice. It says this in 1 Kings 19, 11 and 13. And so Elijah journeyed and he found himself in this cave. And ironically, it, it appears it's, it's quite possibly the, the same place that, that Moses actually hid himself in the rock when, when, when the Spirit of God came past in this just incredible moment. And he was in that same area and he's he's actually, he's got himself in the rock. So in his depression, in his confusion, he actually finds himself in this just incredible safe place before God. No matter what you're going through or what you're feeling or what you've been through, there is always a safe place that God wants to, to grab you and pick you up and protect you. So here he is in the cave and then... God actually speaks to him. He says, so here you go. He's been on the journey. But in the journey, God, he's just starting to churn in more and more to God's voice as he went. To start with, it was just, hey, eat some of that bread or you're going to die, mate. He didn't even respond. He just ate it and went back to sleep. The next time, eat, eat some bread, stand up. There's a journey ahead of you. And he, he eats it and he goes back to sleep and he, and he gets on the journey. And, and, and you can just see as he goes, he's starting to tune in a little bit more. And God says to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And Elijah stood there and the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was the sound of a gentle whisper. Go out and stand before me on the mountain. Now, God knew that a rather depressed and discouraged Elijah needed something in that moment. God knew what he needed. There was nothing fundamentally wrong with Elijah's understanding of God. To put it in our Christian speak, there was nothing wrong with his theology. He actually just needed an encounter with God. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with our, our, our belief and our and our understanding, but it's like God's saying, you know what, I don't want our journey to be just about theology. You know, your, your theology actually needs to be something that, that brings a foundation and security to your journey, but, but that you actually need to go beyond that and have an encounter with me. You need to actually have an experience with me that cannot be argued away. It's totally undeniable. Who was it encounter night on on Tuesday night? We had a fantastic night. And just to be here together and, and just have our focus on God and, and God just start to speak to us all in different ways and minister to us. You, you've got to make sure you're at the next encounter night. You, you, you can have encounters with God in all sorts of ways. And encounter nights are not the be all and end all, but it's a great time for us as a church together to have an encounter with God. Interesting, isn't it? God passed by in a mighty windstorm at the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. I think God brought his presence before Elijah to show him first where he was not. He was not in the wind, but the Bible states there. He was not in the earthquake, and he was not in the fire. And, and I suspect this incredible man of God who had done such amazing things is just going through a journey of having his understanding and his depth of relationship with God go to a whole new level. His God was saying to him, well, I'm, you know, I'm not in the earthquake, not in the wind, I'm not in the fire, where am I? And as he stands in the mouth of that cave, he hears God in a whisper. God starts to speak to him, Elijah, Elijah. What are you doing here? What's happening? What's next? And there are times that God does reach us in the dramatic, in dramatic ways. But I would say that mostly, and more often than not, He appears to us in the less dramatic. And the problem is, like Elijah, 
Elijah was comfortable working in the dramatic. He was in his zone, standing on top of a hill in front of everybody and, you know, with this amazing sense of pressure on. Come on, God, you've got to come through now or we're all done. And, and, and he could function in the dramatic, but God wanted him to have an encounter with him that was not dependent upon the dramatic. God wants to have encounters with you that are not dependent on the dramatic. You actually don't need dramatic in your life to encounter God. You don't actually need a crisis in your life to encounter God. You don't need something to go badly wrong to encounter God. God wants to encounter you where you are right now, and he wants to speak to you with his still, small voice. And he met Elijah exactly where he was at. He didn't say, Elijah, get back to Jerusalem, get back to to somewhere else, stand in a holy place. He just met him where he was at. I've seen people receive amazing miracles where God has dramatically come through in their life. And I've, I've stood beside people. <laughs> this is the nature of this building, this space here. Myself and others and the team, and we've laid hands on them. And we've cried out for God, something in their life. And we've seen God come through. We've seen God reach them. And we've seen them drift away. See, it's not the miracles and the dramatic that will keep you close to God. God's a God that will work in the miracles and the dramatic. He always has. But what keeps us close is relationship. What keeps us close is being able to hear his voice in the still small moments. It's the relationship. It's the gentle whisper. It's his affirmation. It's able to say, you're all right. I'm with you. I'm here. You're enough. See, when you've got a, a big, amazing, all-powerful, all-knowing. God in your corner. There's a whole lot of things you don't need to be. See, if you don't have that, there's a whole lot of things you've got to try and be. The trouble with us sometimes is that there are things that we've had to try and be before we had that understanding and that encounter with God. And perhaps we're still living in what we needed to be before we had the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God in our corner. Most people that have got a 
Lamborghini in their garage. Don't drive it that often. They wait for the sunny day. They wait for the right opportunity. But they're driving around in their Camry. And they're not feeling like a boring old Camry driver because they know they've got a Lamborghini parked in the shed. It's a lot of our life that can be a bit like that. Where you're not having to be anything or step into anything else, but wow, you know, you know who's in your corner. You know who's inside you. So you don't have to be anything you're not. Because he's got it all. It's not... not all the stuff it's not the doing and it's not the achievement that helps us hear from God it's actually the stillness I don't necessarily even mean literally still but it's a poise of our spirit that is able to be still before God where we can actually tune in and hear his voice and I think sometimes Christians want to make that more complex and more spiritual than perhaps it is but let's do a whole circle get back to where we started this morning but when you're in the another version didn't call that a cave it called it the cleft of the rock That sort of small place of protection. Pocket. When we're in the pocket of God's love. Of his being, of who he is. That's where we can hear his voice. Because that's... The sort of perfect love that casts out fear. Because no matter what's going on in your world, no matter what sort of storm you're in, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. The disciples were in a fishing boat in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a massive storm. And they were bailing out water and fighting for their lives. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. Sort of ironic, really. Why did he do that? He could have stayed up. He could have helped them. 
But he actually wanted to show them the power of perfect love in the middle of the storm. In the middle of a storm, he knew who he was and he knew his father was with him and he was able to have peace in the storm. And it doesn't mean in the natural. I don't think he ever managed disciples to throw away their skills as good fishermen and boat handlers and just let the boat sink. But he was actually showing them that they could come to a place of trust and poise where that perfect love would cast out all fear and they could actually hear from God. Let's bow our heads. Oh, I think I think there are some storms here at the moment for different people in different ways. And I want you to just imagine yourself right now. Whatever storm it is, whatever situation it is, in you're moving from that place of confusion, that place of disillusionment, and you're actually getting yourself almost like in the cliff of the rock, in that cave, in that place. But inside that, inside that cave, inside that environment is just just an overwhelming dense thick undeniable sense of love and acceptance and the presence of God I'm just praying for people right now as you just allow yourself to come to that place that you would actually feel that we just feel the presence, the undeniable love and acceptance of where you are and who you are right now in Jesus' name. And in that, the fear still hovering around there but it's almost like it it evaporates in comparison to the love and acceptance of God Lord Jesus, I just pray that we would we would hear your voice, that our poise before you would be one of of quietness. That there will be a still confidence in our soul and our spirit before you, Lord Jesus. We just know how much you love us. We would understand that. You're going to speak to us in our darkest hour. 
that our journey will continue to lead us towards you. We don't need the dramatic, but we want that connection and that relationship with you that is over and above those things in Jesus' name.